T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Good morning and welcome to the morning briefing for Wednesday, December 13th, 2017. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer. And coming up on today's show, we're going to talk to the American Legion as we do every Wednesday. Today, we're going to focus on their Operation Comfort Warriors program. Past National Commander of the Legion, Jim Couch, and current Assistant Director for Troop and Family Support, Bruce Drake. They're going to talk to us and give us the details on a program that's bringing some much-needed comfort to our wounded warriors. The government can only do so much, so the Legion is trying to fill in those little gaps that come to, yeah, when it comes to getting everything that they need to them. Later, the creator of Moving with the Military, Maria Reed, will talk to us about Moving with the Military. What is it? Well, it's a home improvement and lifestyle series focusing on military families. Now, Maria's been a military spouse for 15 years, so she's got quite a bit of experience and has made quite a few moves. She's also found a great way to give tips and advice to military families on how to turn their base housing into a home and live their best life, which makes things easier for the whole family. All that and more on the morning briefing today, which we kick off now by welcoming super producer Jake Hughes into the studio. Jake, good morning. How are you, sir? I'm doing a little chilly this morning. It's it's, yeah. it's cold here in D.C. It was. Uh, so I live up in Maryland, and it was 23 degrees, according to the, uh, the the little thermometer on my car. You know, I got the readout yeah. in there. And I figured, well, it'll warm up a little bit as I uh, drive. No, it stayed 23 degrees the entire time. Did not move an inch or a degree, I suppose, I should say. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where uh, it's going to come every year unless you're living someplace like San Diego. Yeah. Why don't we live in San Diego? I don't know. I actually like it cold. I prefer cold to heat. I do too. I like someplace. Here's here's my perfect living conditions. Like 73 degrees year round. 73 degrees with a nice little breeze, maybe near the water. That's what I want. And it doesn't really exist. I mean, you can find places. My cousin lives in a place called Redwood City, California, and he claims it's the best place to live because it's... It's actually pretty close temperature-wise. See, I, again, I really like the cold, so I would say somewhere probably in the 50s or 40s. You would like it in the 50s year-round? Yeah. I like, I, I, I like, I like just, you know, it's weird. It's hard to explain. I like the smell of cold air. I like the way it feels, and it's just, it's my thing, man. And I know I'm from South Texas, which is probably yeah. probably a good reason why. South Texas for 18 years, and then two deployments to Iraq, and it's like, hey, I'm I'm done with the heat. I do not like it when it's really hot and humid. Being from the Northeast, we have, you know, the fall is kind of nice. It gets a little chill. You would really like the fall in New England because it's that those types of temperatures, 50s, maybe 60s on a warm day. Leaves are changing. A lot of people like that. Uh, and then comes the winter, which are long and cold and brutal. And then comes the spring, which is really nice. And then the summer. Oh, it's so hot and muggy up there. It's it's 
Not really pleasant. And I, I guess I would I kind of prefer the winter if it weren't for some of the things that come along with the winter. Like having to drive in the snow is not particularly fun. Even if you have an all-wheel drive or four-wheel drive vehicle, it's still a pain in the butt. And then you've got to shovel. Here's here's what I'm really glad of. So where we live now, uh, it, it's like a complex where we have a townhome. They come and they do all the shoveling and all that stuff. In Long Island, I had to shovel our driveway. It wasn't a terribly long driveway, but it was horrible to shovel because it was a gravel driveway. Oh. Yes, and I would complain about it all the time, and my wife would be like, stop whining. And I would tell her, you don't tell me that I'm whining. I can't shovel all the way down to the bottom, which would make it a lot easier. Otherwise, I'll be throwing tons of gravel onto the yard, essentially, and then when the snow melts, we won't have a yard. We'll just have a bunch of rocks. Um, I don't like some aspects of the winter, but I don't know. Compared to the summer, eh. As I as I always say, you can always put on more clothes. It only takes so much off before you get arrested. Exactly. Yep. So taking a look around at the headlines of the day. Yesterday, the president signed the fiscal year eighteen defense authorization bill into law. Awesome. Yeah. Here's one issue with it. One, it's like it's already been a month, two months of fiscal year eighteen without uh, this uh, defense authorization act into law. There are also some questions that a lot of people have about it, as comes along with everything that President Trump does. Um, There are some very good things. I saw Chris Goldsmith of High Ground Veterans Advocacy. Of course, we've had on the show before. He's uh, he was a recipient of what's called a bad paper discharge. That's the uh, the term that's being used, essentially an other than honorable discharge uh, for various reasons. His being related to uh, PTSD sort of uh, reasons and. One of the things that his organization advocates for is changing how people who were discharged for other than honorable reasons and they believe PTSD or traumatic brain injuries are the cause of it, kind of reclassifying them so that more things are available to help them uh, because these are not people who committed crimes. This is not a dishonorable discharge or even a bad conduct discharge. It's the other than honorable type where it's just like, you know, Hey, this guy in Chris's case, as he told us the story, essentially uh, he was hospitalized and did not deploy with his unit because he was hospitalized. So in the Navy, all that missing ships movement, you know, when you fail to deploy for a reason that is, uh, they decide is your own fault or was avoidable, essentially. Um, so he was given the uh, the discharge there, which is me- has meant he's not eligible for things like the GI Bill, things like VA medical care, which is significant, particularly when we talk about people with traumatic brain injuries. If they're not authorized to receive care from the VA, where are they going to get it from? And, and can that lead to even more problems? And of course, the answer is yes. I saw him tweeting yesterday that he was uh, pretty happy with some aspects of the high grounds veterans advocacy, uh, you know, looking at essentially looking at the NDAA and saying, hey, there's some uh, there's some good things in here. Uh, the more needs to be done. But he feels that the uh, the NDAA was moving in that right direction. There are some questions about the costs that apparently it went over. Uh, what has been the congressionally mandated maximum for the uh, Defense Authorization Act. So, you know, it's got a lot of good things in it, but if the money's not there for it, are those good things going to happen? That's the question a lot of people have. One of the good things for our active duty friends, you and I, you know, no longer uh, on active duty, but at one point we were, and if we still were, Jake, if we were continuing our service, 
we would be getting a pay raise, 2.4% for 2018. I've never got a 2.4 raise. I think our, our, the average uh, pay raise for in the Army or for all service, I think it was like 1.8 or something like that. I remember back in, I want to say like 99, 2000, 2001, that time frame, I remember getting like around a two point something pay raise. I think that was the last time that it happened was in like the early 2000s, late 90s. But uh, yeah, it wasn't common and it didn't often keep pace with what was going on in the civilian world. The one benefit that we do have in the military is that oftentimes, uh, you know, unless you're screwing up, you get promoted faster than you will in the civilian world unless yep. you're in an industry where uh, you know promotions uh, come quick and easy, which there aren't too many of those. So you, know, you would get paid jumps. That's what you were looking for was that big pay jump, hundreds of dollars a month as opposed to the 2.4% a year. But this is a uh, it, it's a good thing, 2.4% raise, which is kind of keeping in balance with uh, inflation rates and everything, cost of living within the United States. Uh, I don't know how this affects like cost of living allowances for people overseas or things like that or retirees. I don't, I actually, this is something that I should find out. I should talk to somebody about this. You, you may know the answer. I certainly don't. If you retire is the pay rate when you retire, does it, does it stay what it was when you retire as far as your retirement pay or does it increase along with the active duty? It stays the same. It stays the same. Okay. So it won't affect. The yeah. Retirees. So like I retired as an E6. Yeah. So, that's what my pay is going to be for the rest of my life. Right. But I mean, what I mean is like what you were being paid when you retired. Let's say you were getting $1,000 a month. If this 2.4% pay raise goes in, what's $20 or something like that more, would your pay now go no. up to match that? It's going to stay what the yeah. what the rate was. Oh, okay. So uh, the Defense Authorization Act, NDAA, the authorization bill now, calls for military personnel and strength increase of more than 20,000 service members, significant purchases of new aircraft, ground combat vehicles, and ships, and it totals $700 billion. Yes. Includes $66 billion for overseas operations and upgrades to the country's missile defense systems. President Trump has called it providing service members with the tools they need to fight and win when he was speaking to the press about it. Again, I think the big question is where's the money going to come from uh, in a day and age where uh, the economy has certainly turned around recently, the stock market keeps going up, but government spending, uh, they're still operating at a deficit right now, so they're trying to find where they can take money from and where they can put it into. Uh, th there's a lot going on with it, essentially, and we'll keep an eye on it throughout the year, really, because that's how long this goes for. Fiscal year 18 ends in, what, October 2018, so we've yep. got about... Ten and a half months to uh, take a look at it. We've also got news coming out of the State Department. Uh, Secretary of State Tillerson, didn't we hear two weeks ago that he was like going to be replaced that day? Do you yeah. remember seeing those news stories? Yep. That's well, amazing how those news stories are uh, so interestingly off and a lot of those anonymous sources <laughs> tend to not uh, pan tend out. to not know what they're talking about. I mean, it's going to happen, but when it comes to something like that, you would think You'd be able to check with some more people and be like, is this really going to happen? Well, Secretary of State is still Rex Tillerson. And yesterday kind of softened our stance on dealing with North Korea. In essence, saying we are willing to talk to North Korea. We do not want preset conditions from them. We will not give any preset conditions from us. Uh, with the one thing that they're saying, listen, anything that we agree on is going to be predicated on stopping the the 
nuclear weapons program that North Korea is working on. Will they want to do that? I don't think so. That's, yeah, probably that's not. their big thing. It's their uh, It's the only thing they've got that really puts them makes them a quote unquote player on the national sta- on the global stage. Yeah, that's how they look at it because if they're not a threat to anybody else, then any sort of sanctions, anything like that on their horrifying government and it truly is if you look into it. That's why you, know, you and I have talked about this on the show before. Whenever you heard people saying like, oh, you're, we're just as bad as the North Koreans. No, we're not just as yeah. bad as the North Koreans. It's not even close. We're not in the same category. Not anywhere near. So, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. I mean, it, it's it's North Korea doesn't really seem to care what the rest of the world thinks. It's uh, it's kind of a simplistic government in some ways and also very difficult in others. Difficult because the way that it functions is so different from everybody else. It's hard to know exactly the best way to deal with it. We've been trying different ways for many years and none of it has worked, man. None of it has worked. They just keep going on. And over the last, uh, you know, last, what has it been? 2011, so I guess six years since uh, Kim Jong-un came into power. I think it was 2011 when he came into power. That sounds right. It sounds about right. But anyway, since he came into power, since uh, his uh, weird little dad died, it has been sped up, their nuclear weapons, weapons program, and everything that they're doing, that seems to have been his main focus because what he wants to do is stay in power and mm-hmm. keep it going. And how do you do that? You don't do it by capitulating to the outside demands of saying like, hey, how about you open up your uh, your borders a little bit? How about you let people leave if they want to? If you do these things, we will give you the help. We'll give you the ability. We'll help you with the ability to feed your people because that's a problem in North Korea. We'll give you all this stuff. But if that happens, that loosens the grip of power that the the Kim family has on North Korea. And it's a very tight grip. And even being a member of the family, that's not necessarily uh, not, enough it, to keep you it, out his of His brother way. was assassinated, right? Yeah, they assassinated his brother, his brother, <laughs> his brother at an airport in, I want to say Malaysia, yeah. Hong Kong, someplace like Malaysia, that. Malaysia, I think. I think it was Malaysia. Um, yeah, it was Malaysia. I was reading a story about the North Korean soccer team yesterday and, and how no one even knows how their soccer league works. It's the biggest sport in the world. Outside of the United States, in some parts of uh, of Central and uh, Caribbean uh, America, it's the number one sport in North Korea. And, and, and it functions very similarly worldwide. Even in the United States, where the Major League Soccer program is a lot different than the European ones, still has most things in common with it. Up until very recently, no one had any idea what the teams even are that play in North Korea, how their their schedule works, and and now there's a little bit more of an idea, and it's weird, just like everything in North Korea. Um, he assassinated his brother in a very strange plot, but an effective one, using nerve gas with uh, young ladies who were either pretending to be part of a reality show or thought they were part of a reality show. It seems that that's more likely the case, that the... Uh, the uh, the spies from North Korea, essentially, the assassins tricked them into thinking they were being part of a, a reality TV show. And they put a basically like a sprayed them in the face with something that they thought was maybe like a bottle of water or whatever. It was a nerve agent. It killed him. So he's dead. Uh, he also executed his uncle, who was his father's number two man during his regime, basically because he saw him as a threat to his power, executed him, you know, said he was guilty of crimes against the state. Pulled him out back and uh, shot him. I don't know what they killed him with, whether it was a flamethrower or anti-aircraft weapons. Uh, they 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 don't go uh, 
they don't go soft core over in North yeah, Korea. They go whole hog. Oh yeah. I mean, and if you saw the video recently of the uh, the attempted defector, did you see that video? The guy oh, yeah. trying to cross the border got shot about thirteen times or something like that. They will shoot at you for trying to leave their country. Think about that. For all the issues that we have in this country with immigration, we're not worried about people leaving the country. We're worried about people coming into the country. It's the exact opposite in North Korea. If you try to leave, they will shoot at you. When you go to the DMZ, when you look at what's the, what's the town where the buildings are, where everybody meets, what's it called? I can't remember. I'm I can't, sorry. I can't remember either, but that's okay. Everybody knows what we're talking about. It's the place where the, the U.S. and South Korean military are basically in a, a standoff staring across this uh, DMZ against each other. The North Korean guards right at the line on the ground, they're not facing towards South Korea. They're facing inwards to North Korea because their concern is people trying to escape, even their fellow soldiers. Their fellow soldiers are oftentimes the ones who are closest to the DMZ and very often the ones who are trying to escape because even though the military in North Korea is kind of a protected class, they get more food, they get more everything than most people, life is still incredibly difficult for them. So a lot of them, like this soldier, if you saw the the video, it's like an action movie, man. You see he's driving in a Jeep trying to get down there and then finally gets out and then like a commando unit comes out shooting at him. He makes it just over the border enough to where the North Koreans can't get him. One of them did actually cross the border, almost setting off uh, a nice little shooting war right there at the border. But he made it. Uh, He was very badly wounded. South Korean commandos then come around the side, crawl up and get him and drag him back. And apparently now he's uh, he's doing better. So that is uh, that is fantastic. But State Department saying, hey, we'll talk to you. You don't want to get into a war with us because North Korea, uh, for all of the things that we do know about them and the possibility that they have nuclear weapons capable of uh, striking the United States, theoretically, in practice, do they? We don't know. Hopefully, we'll never find out. A lot of their missiles that they've launched and tested have broken up, have crashed, have not gone where even they planned for them to go. So uh, it's a very big question on what their capabilities are. They know what our capabilities are, so you would hope that that might bring them to the table. Although it might take, you wonder, do you ever think about this? Maybe that what it would take is us saying, we will wipe you off of the map, and we're going to. Mm. And you know we can. You might hope that you can get us back, but you know that we can do it. Is that the kind of uh, language, the kind of rhetoric that actually would work best with them? I mean, you're dealing with a bully. Remember that. How do you? How, what's the best way to deal with a bully if you're in like middle school or high school? Some kid who's just pushing you around and doing that stuff. Sometimes you got to punch him right in the nose and let him know, like, "Hey, man, you want to do this? We'll do this." Okay, yeah, but you got to remember, Kim Jong Un is almost certifiably insane. We think we don't know. Nobody knows anything about him. The people who went to school with him in Switzerland, which is where he went to school, he was not raised in the North Korean education system, which is interesting in and of itself. Uh, seem to remember him as a fairly normal kid. They didn't say like he was, you know, walking around like beating people up and murdering animals or things like that. Yeah, but again, you would you think that if the whole thing about him staying in power, that's capitulating. If we threaten them, it's like him saying, "Okay, yeah, we realize we're not a threat, so we're going to go to the table." That makes them look bad. Yeah, and that's oftentimes what it is, particularly within uh, the Asian theater and Asian government. And you know, I'm a big mixed martial arts fan. There's uh, interesting stories about when the big organization in Japan, which is a very different country, of course, than Korea, South or North, but has some things in common with them culturally. 
And one of them is kind of that saving face is very important. So the big MMA organization in Japan was Pride. That's where Fedor Emelianenko and a whole bunch of the, the, the early huge superstars fought. And then the UFC came up and pulled a lot of their stars away. And as Pride started failing as a business, the UFC went into negotiations to buy them, apparently knowing that the original negotiations, nothing was going to happen. What the Japanese owners of Pride wanted was to be able to show that someone was interested in them. So they got an offer from the UFC to buy them, said, okay, thank you, and then said no, and then put that offer out in the press. Like, we were offered this much money for our product, so our product is worth is worthwhile. It's it's a different way of thinking oftentimes when you're dealing with companies from different countries and different areas of the world and different cultures, when you're dealing with governments of different areas of the world and different cultures. In North Korea, it, it, you're, you're kind of right. It is interesting. We don't know exactly how to deal with them because they're so different from everybody else. You might think like, well, you would deal with them in a similar way that you would South Korea. No, there's been six decades of separation between those two nations and the similarities between them kind of begin and end at language. I mean, everything else is so different. South Korea, one of the most advanced technological countries in the world. North Korea, perhaps one of the least, certainly uh, in in the Asian area and in the Asian Pacific theater. It's very interesting to see and it's interesting to wonder when it comes to Kim Jong-un, and this is someone, again, went to school in the West, is familiar with Western culture, would he rather there not be a North Korea, in essence, for anyone to rule over, or would he rather lose power? So his two options, essentially, if, if he were to start a nuclear war, his two options are um, North Korea doesn't exist, and I and most of the North Koreans are dead, so no one gets it, or I try to figure out a way to stay in power while negotiating with the outside forces. But will he think that that's showing weakness? I mean, it's 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 difficult, and you just you don't know. And there's even questions as to exactly how much power he has there, as opposed to the the military. The military has a lot of power in North Korea, which is why every few years the leader, whether it's Kim Il Sung, Kim Jong Il, Kim Jong Un kill their generals to get rid of them every few years because they realize, Hey, these guys are a threat to me. So I'm going to get rid of them. We'll promote some new younger guys who are going to be happy to be serving with me. And about the time that they think, well, maybe I could uh, take over and get a little bit more power here. Then we'll get rid of them. But the big question is, will, is Kim Jong-un the, you know, taking my ball and I'm going home type of guy. I think so far he's shown himself to be, but I think it, uh, I think it's interesting that the U S is now, looking uh, even with uh, the boisterous administration that we have essentially <laughs> with uh, yeah the way that they I mean the way that they go about and they go about things in a different way that's that's certainly true um they are at least open to talking and North Korea you would hope would be maybe the whole saber rattling that's been going on the back and forth the insults between Trump and Kim maybe that's what was necessary to get to the table. We needed to both show like, oh, we're not backing down and well, let's be civil about this and talk about it. You know, it's like two guys that are talking about how they're going to kick each other's butts and then eventually like, oh, and then you know what? We decided to man up and settled it over a beer and blah, blah, blah. And everybody comes out looking okay. I, you know, it's, it's very, it's, it's a touchy situation. It's difficult, but secretary of state Tillerson opening up the possibility that, uh, that we will, talk to North Korea. And honestly, we, it's always been there that we will talk to North Korea. They're just, again, so 
odd in the way that they go about everything, the way that they'll walk out of meetings, the demands that they'll make, the things that they'll say. They'll be talking about uh, peace talks going on with South Korea at the time that they torpedoed a South Korean naval ship, causing the loss of, I believe, 43 lives on board. I mean, it's 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 so strange. It's so strange. And there's so little insight into exactly what they're doing and what they're thinking. But, you know, obviously, we hope that everything works out. Okay. Got a lot going on in the world of the military, and if you want to keep up to date on what's going on in the veteran and military communities, you need to check out ConnectingVets.com. Fantastic stories on there and as well on our social media sites. Yeah, If you follow us at ConnectingVets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, you'll be kept up to date on the latest and greatest things that we have. Top stories on the website today, the defense spending bill. It's been signed by the president. A new study finding chiropractic care relieves pain in women veterans. I don't know if I believe that. That study uh, may be talking about what they think as opposed to how do you verify pain and what people do and don't feel? How much of it is psychosomatic? How much of it is in their heads? I don't know, but you can check out the story and find out more about that. Reads Across America, the new book Soldier and Spouse in Their Traveling House, and The War in Syria. So much going on there and so much going on here on the morning briefing today. We're going to be talking to the American Legion in just a few minutes about another one of their fantastic programs, Operation Comfort Warriors, and then later, moving with the military's Maria Reed, the creator of it. She's got a great way to give great tips, advice, and assistance to military members and their families specifically about how to turn housing into a home. That can be difficult. And when you're moving all the time, you can, nah, it's it's just a tough life. We know that. Maria knows that. And she's going to tell us about how she's working to address that later in the show. You're listening to The Morning Briefing, ConnectingVets.com. Back after this. Helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. At Connecting Vets. Welcome back to the Morning Briefing for Wednesday, December 13th, 2017. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer, and ConnectingVets.com is your website. And we mean that. Created by veterans and for veterans, as well as the veteran adjacent. Military spouses, military dependents, we've got them all on the team. And, of course, veterans themselves like, well, like me and Jake. 13 years in the ar- in the Army for Jake, 13 years in the Navy for me. Put us together, we're a 26-year E-12 It's incredibly impressive, I know. (laughs) Also impressive, check out the website. Check out the top stories. We've just updated the former Army sergeant who defected to North Korea in 1965 and then was court-martialed 40 years later. He's passed away in Japan. The USDA is mentoring transitioning veterans into farmers and ranchers. A new study shows chiropractic care apparently supposedly relieves back pain in women veterans and the body of the first woman veteran who uh, kind of came to the forefront is somehow missing. You can find out about those on the website and, of course, by following us on social media. We are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. So go over, give us a click of the mouse, tap of the phone. Your life will change for the better with great information. Speaking of which, our next guest is the creator of Moving with the Military. What is Moving with the Military? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's a home improvement and lifestyle series focusing on military families. 
You see, she's been a military spouse for 15 years, and she noticed some things, some unique difficulties, some unique hurdles that military families face, and she's found a great way to give tips, advice, and more to military families on how to turn their housing into a home and make military family life that much more, well, I guess, familier. <laughs> Her name is... <laughs> I'm sorry, I crack myself up sometimes. Her name is Maria Reed, and we welcome her to the morning briefing right now. Maria, good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. So, as I mentioned, you are a 15-year military spouse, which I don't know if they give out awards, but I think every time you get through five years of being a military spouse, you should get a nice big reward or award for that. But let's talk a little bit about your life as a military spouse. When did you first come into uh, the military family, and uh, how has it been for you over the past 15 years? Well, thank you. Um, well, I'm a Florida girl, so we, at least I, knew very little about the military. I, uh, the only thing I knew was what I saw on television or, you know, Fort Lauderdale's Fleet Week. You could see the, the, the ships out in the ocean, and it was kind of pretty cool. That's the only thing I ever knew about the military until I met my husband. Uh, then we got married, and it was an immediate just like, wow, my whole life has changed. What do you mean you've got orders and we're moving in 30 days? What? You know, what is going on? So this is very interesting to me because I had no idea at all what to expect. And there wasn't um, that I knew of at that time, like, what, what is an FRG? I had to learn all these acronyms. What is it with the world of acronyms in the military? <laughs> we love them. <laughs> <laughs> I just had to learn so much. But in doing that, I really found a community, a community of military spouses and veterans who came together regardless. And what I learned was regardless of the branch of service, whether it was Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard, we, we, they all came together and gave very valuable, invaluable advice. Um, so we, we left from Florida and our first uh, duty station for me with my husband was Fort Stewart. And we learned quickly, like just what's around the area, what to do, you know, wh where to go. And I just kept sort of keeping that all in a mental file. Like, well, these are really cool things. I, yeah. I hope to someday share this with someone, you know, the, the ideas of, of where to go and what to do. And the first thing I learned really quickly was housing rules. Oh, yeah. That's a big one. Yeah, that was exciting. Like, you can't paint walls. Or if you do paint the walls, they can only be these specific colors. Or if you do paint them, then you must paint everything back. <laughs> you know, how, how that whole housing rule kind of worked. And the whole idea for this, this show started when um, our daughter was 10 at the time. And the only thing she wanted to do was paint her walls. And of course, being a 10-year-old girl, she wanted them you know, bright bubblegum pink. <laughs> and all I could think of, right, all I could think of immediately was, oh, my gosh, how, how am I going to fix this? How am I going to turn it back so that we can clear housing and move on to the next duty station? But that sort of put a little bug in my ear saying, if, if I'm going through this, I'm sure there's plenty of other military spouses and families that are going through the same thing. How do we turn this house that we're only going to be in maybe, you know, 18 months, two years, how do we really turn this into a home, especially, especially for the children? And that's what got me going on, on the idea of the show and what to do and, and how to help other military families navigate the same exact thing. How and, do they do it? Go ahead. Oh no, you go ahead, please. <laughs> 
was just it was just this this concept of trying to put all this put all this together and then realize that you know there's a community out there that really feels the same way you know decorating a home and turning a house into a home is like therapy you know i think there's right. absolutely truth to that and it's something that as as a guy when i was in the when i was in the navy i was not married i am now i do have a family now i have a child i have a wife and while i was in i'd often hear about those with families kind of complaining about the difficulties that they were going through you know how life was a little bit more difficult when you were moving every two, three years, maybe a little bit more mm-hmm. than that if you were lucky. And I remember thinking like, ah, stop whining. We all got stuff to deal with. Although now that I have a family, I get it. And I understand how much more difficult it would have been serving in the military with a family. And I, I think it's great that what you're doing with moving with the military is working to address that and kind of giving people some of these life hacks, especially, I mean, do you think it's more important and do you think it'd be more beneficial to the new military family? Yes, I do. Because it was like me coming in during the headlights. Like, what? What do I do? So you've got so much thrown at you. And we had, you know, children or we're pregnant, actually. But then we had children. You start thinking about moving in schools and and just all of those things put together. How do you navigate this? So we try and give military families those, like you said, life hacks, the the quick and easies. If you try this, this is really helpful. Things like when I discovered removable wallpaper. What? life-changing <laughs> so easy it was it was so easy and that we could oddly enough removable wallpaper you can actually reuse even once you've removed it so giving our child that same look in their room even though it's a new home it added to that stability like this is my space i'm familiar with this space so i'm good here even though i may be in a completely different city And that's the other thing, you know, you're constantly moving into new environments. And as you were talking about base rules, different bases have different rules. There's so much to go through and particularly for a young family, I think, who's starting out, it can make life so much more difficult. It's great to have resources out there and for you to be able to do it in such a fun and such a good professional looking way as well. I mean, your background, as I read, you come from kind of the TV world, right? Is, is, was that something that, you know, you saw as giving you more of an opportunity to be able to present this stuff to your fellow uh, military spouses and, and service members with families? I did. Um, I was, uh, I'll give my age away, but I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was a film director and producer. Um, I actually started out as a continuity supervisor uh, in television commercials, but I'd been doing it for a little over 20 years. So I felt like I could present it in a way because I knew how to <laughs> you know, formulate that storytelling process, right. not only, uh, you know, verbally, but visually be able to edit it and, and put it out and give it to the community and digestible, as I call them, digestible nuggets. So they're not too long, they're not too short, and it's just enough information that they can watch. And they can watch military families and all families can watch it anywhere they go, wherever they are, because we definitely wanted to make it um, mobile, that they could watch it on their cell phones, on, you know, tablets, on, on anywhere they go on their, uh, you know, hopefully someday we'll, we'll be on something like Netflix or, or Amazon. You know, that, that's our goal, because right now we're self-funded. We decided, my husband and I decided to put this entire show together right before he deployed for Iraq. Mm. So I said, yeah, you know, perfect timing that I want to do something when I'm going to be doing this by myself. But you know what? It's what we do. We're, I'm, I'm used to that. You know, he, he deploys, life happens, and we've got to keep going. So we did the entire first season while he was in Iraq. And it was kind of 
funny in a way that I would call him on, on occasions when he could speak and we would talk about color and texture and fabric. And he's like, this is so weird, <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm enjoying it. You know, so, so he was able to get in sort of his two cents when he could, you know, understanding his, obviously his first duty is to his country. Um, but he's very excited to be a part of all of this and, you know, we have so many more videos coming out. We're excited to be sharing everything that we're doing for our military community because the show has sort of three phases, if you will. We introduce the military family because our goal is really to celebrate military family life. I don't know if, if you're with me on this, but I'm sort of kind of tired of hearing just all the negativity. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of it out there, certainly, and it can certainly be overbearing, and that's something that Maria Reed is not going to let get her down. She is the creator of Moving with the Military, along with her husband. They've put together this uh, this TV series, essentially, this video series, to help people kind of make their house, their base housing specifically, into a home. And Maria, let's talk about that. Base housing is known uh, not necessarily for its aesthetics, but for its functionality, its efficiency. What are some of the things that you've found that are the easiest and most important things to do that can kind of change that housing into a home? Oh, thanks for that question. That is awesome because what we try and do, since you can't, like if you look at a lot of the home improvement shows, they do a lot of rehab. So they tear down walls, they tear down kitchens, and you know they spend a lot of money, and then they, they refresh it and make it new. We can't do that in military housing, even if it's off-post housing. A lot of military families rent, so they still, their, their hands are kind of tied on what I can do. So we've discovered that bringing in furniture pieces, like if you want to bring in color, instead of painting the walls, paint the furniture. Bring in some chalk paint and paint something in aquas and reds and, and really brighten up the room because you may have, like you said, that utilitarian, functional white walls with that, you know, uh, linoleum floor, <laughs> the, the speckle gray linoleum floor. And you can't change those things, but by adding in elements that make it homey, furniture pieces that you can paint, area rugs. Area rugs are so wonderful and beautiful to add. And then furniture and the way that you lay it out in the room. I love taking and looking at a room, especially when we moved into the different military on post housing, looking at what worked at one house doesn't necessarily work in the other house because the layout is completely different. Right. It might be smaller. So we've had pieces like, okay, I've got this dresser that does not fit in the bedroom. How am I going to make this work in the living room? So we've literally painted pieces of furniture. We've turned them into something else, turned them into entryway pieces. And then if we've, I love going to um, secondhand stores and finding pieces that may otherwise be discarded by someone else, refinishing them and then making them beautiful. And because I didn't spend a lot of money, those are pieces that I love to give away to the next family. I'll say we, we put them out, we put them on our website and we give them away. They're beautifully finished pieces and say, this might work for someone else's home because we always have to be very careful with our weight allowances when we move. So yeah. again, heavy pieces of furniture may not work for that next move. So we always try and pay it forward. You know, I didn't even think about that because, it, again, I was always single. I had a limited amount of stuff I was bringing with me. I did go back and forth from overseas a lot uh, and PCS, I think, seven times or six times in 13 years. 
I, you know, yeah. with families, there's so much more. You don't have just yourself. You have children's uh, uh, clothing. You have their their furniture in their bedrooms. You know, when it comes to that kind of stuff, as you mentioned, kind of repurposing things as a, a dresser that doesn't fit in the bedroom because, you know, you may have had a much larger layout someplace like uh, Vicenza, Italy, and then you come back to the States <laughs> and you're stationed at Fort Meade, Maryland, and you don't have the same size house while you're there. Uh, what are some of the other things that people that you found that people can do with furniture or other items that just don't fit or don't work in the house, just don't look right in the new house? Uh, a, a lot of times we um, we sell them. Or, again, give it away, pay it forward to another family who may be PCSing and uh, going to another duty station. Or even tear it apart if you're not going to use that piece anymore. But you can use, say, the doors of cabinets and turn those into decorative decorative art pieces that you can use in your house and then not the rest. I save wood. We're fortunate enough that we have a garage. And I try and save pieces and then I repurpose them for other home design. So I try and, and a lot of the designs that I do for military families use some of those pieces and repurpose them, recreate them and use them as art or decor in their homes. We're speaking with Maria, Maria Reed. Maria is a military spouse of 15 years with a background in TV direction and has used those two things, brought them together to create Moving with the Military, a series that aims to help military families turn base housing into a home. Now, Maria, we just talked about some things that people can do to make things better. I want to ask mm-hmm. you from your experience and your friends and other people that you've known, what are some of the things you've seen that people have done that maybe they shouldn't have, mistakes that people made when dealing Dealing with uh, with new housing and moving into a new place, trying to put everything into one room. <laughs> like <laughs> I, I have all this stuff, and I'm just going to make it work in one room. I I believe in less is more. You don't need a lot of stuff. I I love decorating sort of minimalist, keeping it clean, clean lines, because then you know you have your eyes have room to rest. So when we do too much, it it can become overwhelming, um, and also. Painting, when we paint really dark colors, dark colors tend to make rooms look smaller. So even though um, a lot of military installations have that white wall rule and we've got to keep the white walls, which I love, happen to love white walls, I've seen people paint them really dark colors. And it just, you know, they, they want to add their personal touch. I understand that. But dark colors can just make a room seem seem very small and sort of confining. Uh, those are my, my two biggest ones. <laughs> Absolutely important ones. And and that brings up another question. When we talk about the, the do's and don'ts of moving, there are some things that military members and their families do very well. The military is known for you know, putting fire on target, uh, cleaning. We're very good at cleaning. And moving oh, yeah. is another thing that we're good at. As I said, I was in 13 years and I moved, I think, six or seven times in 13 years. I got moving down to a science by the end. Because of that fact, do you think this series, Moving with the Military, that you created along with your husband, Patrick, do you think this is something that could actually apply to a larger audience outside of just the military, knowing how how basically efficient and how excellent military families get at moving that non-military families and veteran families uh, might be able to benefit from the show as well? Absolutely. We've seen uh, such an interest, actually, from the civilian community because they find it so interesting that, like we had said earlier, what you get orders in 30 days and you've got to leave. How do you get your life together? How do you possibly pack everything up and figure it all out? It's a process. And we did a series called the 31 Day Organization Boot Camp um, that's available on, on YouTube. And 
it, it literally goes through what you need to do in 31 days to organize your house top to bottom. And purging is one of the biggest things. You got to keep that load light. We talked about uh, the, the military weight, your weight allowances when you move, you know, based on your rank, what you get. So if you've got so much stuff, you've got to dump it, you've got to get rid of it. But it's not just about getting rid of it. It's about who can benefit from it. So always keeping that load light and thinking about the next person that could utilize something that you have. You may no longer be able to utilize it, but who can? What's the reaction and feedback been for moving with the military, not only from the military spouses, but of course your husband is a big part of this as well. He's there with you. He's really your assistant. We know you're doing the heavy lifting. He's just there to like look good on your arm, right? But has he gotten response from his, uh, his fellow soldiers as well on this? He's my eye candy. Um, <laughs> it's funny because while while he was deployed, we uh, began the, the filming the first part of the series, and they were watching. They had all the the soldiers watching from um, they were when they were in Kandahar. They were all watching it on YouTube, saying, "Oh my gosh, this is so cool! My wife needs to see this." Or you would see, and he would hear other soldiers say, "I can do that." I, I can paint that. I can make that happen for my wife. So it was really, really sweet. Um, but like, like you said, when, when he came back, it was kind of very interesting for him because he wasn't used to the cameras and all of the things. He's like, look, I, I'm the builder guy. I'll make whatever you need. I'll make, I'll make it happen. But, you know, as we've been getting uh, more and more response and feedback on uh, the, the videos that we have, for example, we just did a surprise holiday front porch makeover for a Navy family. Did I just say go army? No, I didn't. Yes, I did. (laughs) (laughs) And he's gotten more comfortable in front of the camera, right? Yes. Yes, he has. And it's, it's been a lot of fun to see it. And uh, with this holiday front porch makeover, it was wonderful to give a Navy family, a fellow military family, just all of this beautiful decor and landscaping and turn a military house that like we said, is functional, not always necessarily beautiful, but we turned it into just a you know a Christmas winter paradise. It's absolutely beautiful. But he's having he's having a good time, enjoying picking out swatches and paint, and we have a lot of fun together. He is the best person that I could ever hope for to work with and to spend my life with. You know, I having having been someone who worked with video cameras and the military, oftentimes the people at first who are like, "Listen, I'm just going to do what I do on camera, and then you just do what you have to do." those often develop into divas. So you may want to keep an eye on Patrick and make sure that he doesn't <laughs> demand star treatment, his own trailer and all this stuff. Cause his I get trailer. the feeling it may be coming Maria. <laughs> <laughs> He's pretty good. I think we can keep him humble. No, no problem. <laughs> of course, we're speaking with Maria Reed, the creator of moving with the military. She and her husband, Patrick, they've been a military family for 15 years. They have two children and they have figured out this great way to get people ideas, tips, tricks, hacks on how to turn housing into a home. And it can benefit veteran families, non-military families, because as we just said, there's nobody better at putting fire on target than the United States military. Mm. There's also nobody better at moving because, man, do we do it a lot. Another thing I want to ask you about, Maria, is we, uh, we're, we've got a few minutes left here, is okay. kids specifically, those people who have kids and you now having, I, I believe you have a teenager and a preteen right now, that can be a mm-hmm. difficult time in their life with moving and with everything that comes along with being a military family. How important is it to make a house a home for them and what can people do to specifically focus on the kids? Uh, it was it was so difficult recently because we PCSed from uh, Fort Benning 
and came out to Fort Hood. So we're in Texas now. And it was tough, toughest for our daughter. You know, eight, uh, she was a seventh grader going into eighth grade at that 13 years old and really good at it. And I often and always, I shouldn't say often, I focus on making this a journey and an adventure and not about, oh, wow, we've got to move again. We've got, let's make this fun. How are we going to decorate your room when we get to the new house? I have no idea what it's going to look like because, you know, sometimes you can see things online, sometimes you can't, but that process and involving them in that process is so important. They really they really get to be part of the whole, um, just that, that journey, that adventure of creating their own space. And when they become a part of it, and it's not just, okay, we're moving here and this is what you got to do. They're part of that whole process. I think they're, they're vested and involved. And they're like, okay, this is mine. It's not just about we've got to move and the Army's telling us, to do, telling us what to do, but it is, it's my life and I have a say in it and what I'm going to do. And I think it's, it's really beautiful to keep our kids and important to keep our kids involved. I think it eases the process. It, I, I would assume that it does. Again, as someone who didn't have a family while I was in, it's, it's hard to say. But I think making it, instead of just being a change, but making it kind of, is there an opportunity for a restart, almost refreshing You know everything? I know when we recently moved from New York down to Maryland, having a new bedroom for me and my wife and having my son being able to decide what he wanted in his room kind of almost felt like a nice little freshening up of how everything was going at home. Do you think that's one of the biggest benefits of moving along with some of the drawbacks? backs of moving so often? It is because you get, you, you still have some of your same furniture. You have your same furniture and you set it up in new ways. And because I love to repurpose and refresh items, I'll repaint their furniture a completely different color. So it feels like it's new furniture, same pieces. My son has had the same pieces of furniture since he was two and he is 12. But every time we move, it feels like it's a whole new bedroom because they're different. They're different colors. They're different knobs. So these are inexpensive things. Chalk paint is not expensive. Knobs are not expensive. But by adding those elements to his older pieces of furniture, it feels new to him. It feels like, oh, yeah, it's Christmas again. It's, I can open up new stuff. And we do the same thing with um, like their toys. I don't put them all out all the time. I keep a lot of things back. And then when we move to a new duty station, we'll open them up as, oh, wow, I remember that. I didn't have that piece before. So it kind of keeps it fresh all the time for them. And that is important for military families and for families worldwide. And that's why it's so great that Maria Reed and her husband, Patrick, are working with Moving with the Military, this this great series that they've created. And Maria, if people want to find out more about Moving with the Military, what's the best place they can go to see everything and find out more about you guys? Um, always is our website, movingwiththemilitary.tv. And I'll say that again, movingwiththemilitary.tv. It's not a .com or a .tv. And on our Facebook page, which is also facebook.com, movingwiththemilitary, forward slash movingwiththemilitary. And then you'll see all of the videos that we've done. And our our goal is always to interact with our viewers. So we do Facebook Lives where we answer questions, we communicate with our our, uh, fan base, we want to talk to other military families and hear what they have to say. Sometimes they've got such great ideas and we love learning from them and being able to give back pieces of advice and, and just sharing with our community. Maria Reed and her husband Patrick doing great things with Moving with the Military. Again, movingwiththemilitary.tv. You can find them on Facebook. They are at Moving with the Military. This has been the Morning Briefing. Thank you so much to our guests and thank you for joining us today. We'll see you tomorrow. 
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.